Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mr. Classic Wrestling Podcast. And today, I'm going to go to another episode of Monday Night Madness, where I'm going to give my review on WCW Starcade 1997. Uh, starting off the evening, we're going to our first match on the card. It is Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko for the Cruiserweight Championship. Again, this really wasn't a bad match. It was an act- starting the, the whole match when it started. It was a really action-packed match. Both guys knew each other really good in the ring. Back and forth match. Um, per- and they both pretty much gelled perfectly together in the ring. Um, my other thing I would take away from this match, from this match, and a lot of the, uh, the first matches from pay-per-views, the cruiserweight division is underrated, by far underrated. For WCW, hands down, man, the amount of talent that WCW had at the cruiserweight division alone, just outstanding, man. Brutal, just crazy stuff. Um, Eddie Guerrero does end up winning the match. He still retains his Cruiserweight Championship in this match. But it, it was a barn burner match, man. It was a 15-minute match, back and forth. Hats off to Guerrero for getting the win in this match. After that match, we go to our next match on the card. It is Randy Savage and Vincent and Scott Norton versus the Steiner Brothers and Ray Taylor. Uh, the one thing that I would take, take away, the first thing I took away from this match was that Ray Taylor is actually Big Boss Man, um, wrestled for WWF in the early days in the Attitude Era and so on and so forth. Um, the match really wasn't that bad, to be to be 100% honest. It could have been a whole hell of a lot better than what it was. Um, it seemed like Randy Savage was the one taking the most beatings in this match, besides Vincent and Norton. I mean, Savage was getting his ass kicked in this match. Um, I thought the Steiners were going to go over in this match and get the win, but uh, Randy... Uh, Randy Savage ends up hitting an elbow drop off the top rope on Scott. Pins him for the three. Your winners of the match are Randy Savage, Vincent, and Scott Norton in an 11-minute match. I mean, honestly, Randy Savage was the one carrying that team. Um, Again, Ray Taylor, big boss man, whatever you guys want to call him. I was never really a big fan of him. Uh, The Steiners, obviously big fan of the Steiners. Phenomenal tag team. And this match could have been better, to be 100% honest with you guys. So hats off to Savage, Vincent, and Norton for getting the win in this match. After that match, being going to our next match on the card, it is Goldberg versus Steve McMichael. Uh, this looks like there was a rival going on between McMichael and Goldberg that was going on for quite a while. Obviously, McMichael playing for the Chicago Bears. Goldberg, you know, having like a small little – I think he played for the preseason for the Atlanta Falcons, and I know that he played for the University of Georgia um, defensive player. So, obviously, they have that storyline going. Um, but starting off the match, Goldberg, you know, he made his way down to the ring. McMichael was taking his sweet time getting to the ring. So Goldberg was like, you know, the hell with it. Goldberg ends up running up to the ramp, attacking McMichael. Goldberg and McMichael pretty much fight at the ramp back and forth. McMichael does hit a sidewalk slam on Goldberg, though, into the ring. Goldberg then hits a flying shoulder tackle on McMichael in the ring. Goldberg then hits a signature spear on McMichael. Goldberg does set a table um, ringside. Goldberg then lands a strike on McMichael, sends McMichael off the apron through the table that Goldberg had set up um, to the outside of the ring. Goldberg then hits his signature jackhammer on McMichael in the middle of the ring. In the middle of the ring, pins him for the three, and your winner of the match is Goldberg in a six-minute match. Again, at you know, probably not, obviously not back then. No one knew that Goldberg was going to be as big as he was in WCW back then. But looking back on it now, it's like you know he was going to, you know, obviously he had the undefeated streak and. I, I honestly didn't think, uh, even looking back then, I didn't think McMichael had a chance against Goldberg before the whole streak really took into fruition and what it really was. But um, a lot of his, a lot of Goldberg matches were real, like relatively fast. So six-minute match, Goldberg gets the win. Hats off to Goldberg. And uh, again, it was a decent showing by McMichael. 
After that match, we go into our next match on the card. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Perry Saturn versus Chris Benoit in a Ravens rules match. Pretty much anything goes. No disqualification, no holds barred. So, starting off the match, Benoit is pretty much keeping on the attack on Saturn. Benoit then lands devastating chops on Saturn in the corner. Saturn then gets out of that, hits a net breaker on Benoit in the middle of the ring. Saturn then hits a double springboarded moonsault on Benoit, which was absolutely brutal. Saturn then applies an accolade on Benoit. Benoit then gets out of that. Benoit then applies a cross face on Saturn on the outside, but the flock come out uh, through the crowd, attack Benoit. Benoit then hits a diving headbutt off the top rope on Saturn. The flock then come back to the ring, try to attack Benoit. Benoit fights him off. Raven then gets involved in the match, hits a DDT on Benoit. Saturn then applies his signature rings of Saturn on Benoit. And your winner of the match by submission is Saturn in an 11-minute match. Again, this wasn't a bad match. It really wasn't. For what for what it's worth, it wasn't a bad match. Usually the Ravens rules matches, usually, you know, Ravens team wins the match. Obviously, it's set up for Raven and the flock. Um, I was a big fan of Raven too, man. I think what he was doing and how his, his you know, how his gimmick was going, how his character was, it was definitely before his time. No one else was doing it. And he gave off this mystique that nobody knew, you know, really what the hell he was doing. Um, Saturn. You know, I never, I can honestly say I've never been a big fan of Saturn. I just didn't get the gimmick. Um, I know when he was in WWF, his gimmick was absolutely like ridiculous. Him used to, you know, he used to walk around with the mop and everything else like that. Absolutely hilarious. But uh, hats off to Saturn for getting the win in this match. After that match, we go to our next match on the card. It is Lex Luger versus Buff Bagwell. Starting off the match, Luger hits a press slam on Bagwell. Pretty much a back and forth match between Bagwell and Luger. Luger does hit a back suplex on Bagwell. Luger then hits an atomic drop on Bagwell as well. Bagwell then gets up, hits a running knee on Luger, takes out the ref as well. Luger then hits a power slam on Bagwell in the middle of the ring. Luger then puts Bagwell into the torture rack, but Randy Savage is here. Randy ends up attacking Luger. Luger then hits a press slam on Randy. Then Luger ends up putting his own torture. uh, Luger puts a torture rack on Randy in the middle of the ring as well. Scott Norton is here. Norton then hits Luger with a dog collar. Looks like a dog collar uh, that Rick Steiner would wear. Norton then throws, uh, throws Bagwell over Luger for the cover, pins for the three, and your winner of the match is Bagwell in a 17-minute match. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Uh, this match was awful. God awful. I'm sorry, man. And look, Lex Luger, Lex Luger was the man back in the day. He really was. I'm not talking about when he was in NWO or anything else like that. When he was in WWF, he was the man. You know, And I, I thought the character of him being the narcissist was perfect. You know, him working with Bobby Heenan, I thought was absolutely just awesome. You know, and then obviously the Lex Express and what he was doing with Yokozuna. He got into WCW, and then even back in the day when he was with W, when, you know, with Ted Turner, back in the early 90s, you know, Lex Luger was the man. He was the guy. You know, the matches he had with Ric Flair, Luger was the guy. But this match right here just goes to show you that either A, Luger was not on his game that night, and or Buff Bagwell is just an awful wrestler. Buff Bagwell, to me, is pure gimmick always has been always will be. And I'm, and the, the saddest thing is, is that when he was a part of that tag team with two cold Scorpio, I, I forgot the name, the specific name of the team, but I remember they were a tag team and they were a phenomenal tag team. That was probably the best in-ring career stuff that he was doing. His singles run was God awful. God awful. He spent more time trying to get over with the fans and the fans just didn't like him. He was trying to be a baby face, but at the same time, I feel like he was trying to be a heel, but even him being a heel just wasn't working to the fans. Like they, it was like him, they they were calling his bluff, you know, it was transparent with him, man. And honestly, you know, I think he had like a small stint in WWE when, you know, obviously Vince bought WCW, but it didn't pan out. 
I mean, how many matches can you actually go back and say, oh, that was a great Bagwell match? Not many. Obviously not many. And if you can, then let me know, because I, I can honestly tell you there's not many out there. You know, I don't I to me, one of the most boring matches I could probably see is a triple threat match between Disco Inferno, Steve McMichael and Buff Bagwell in a triple threat. That has got to be god awful. So but again, I got to give him credit. He didn't win this match, but this match was a snooze fest. I'm sorry. This match was downright awful. But again, I got to give the man credit. He won the match 17 minute match and what I thought was just pure awfulness. I'm sorry. After that match, we're going to our next match on the card. It is DDP versus Kurt Henning for Henning's United States Championship. Again, this match was really back and forth. It looks like DDP in this match that he did not like Henning at all. You know, obviously, you know, DDP being a fan favorite, he was the people's champion before The Rock, in my honest opinion. I'm sorry. People gravitated to Diamond Dallas Page, and they loved him, man. And they would, they would go to war with that guy. Um, Kurt Henning, again, Henning could sell. He, he He's one of the best wrestlers I know that could sell a punch, man. You know, and one of the best Intercontinental Champions of all time, in my honest opinion. You know, God rest his soul. But, again, this was a back-and-forth match. Henning and DDP pretty much exchanged in the middle of the ring. You know, DDP ends up hitting his diamond, the, the hitting his signature diamond cutter on Henning, pins Henning for the three, and becomes the new United States Champion at that time. And, again, and what I thought was a great classic match between these guys. If, again, it started off slow. It really did. You know, Henning was kind of pitter-pattering out of the ring. Didn't really want anything to do with Diamond Dallas Page. And it was pretty much milking the match the whole time. DDP obviously wasn't having it. Ends up hitting the diamond cutter on Henning. Pins him for the three and becomes the new, at that time, United States champion for WCW. Which, again, I thought it was great. Even after the match, him walking through the crowd and he's holding the belt up and stuff. And, you know, the crowd's going crazy. Like I said to you guys, he was the true people's champion before The Rock ever came around. So hats off to Diamond Dallas Page for getting the win in this match. After that match, we go into our next match on the card. It is Eric Bischoff versus Larry Zabisco with special guest referee Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, again, this match honestly wasn't. I mean, for what it's worth, it wasn't like a bad match. It just wasn't a match. I mean, Bischoff comes down with the legit karate gear on. You know, he's got like the karate pants and the black belt and the karate shoes and stuff. But for what I understand, I think like Bischoff was like a legit karate artist for what I like a legit black belt for what I understand. Zabisco, obviously pro wrestler, the living legend. Um, and he is a legend. I know some people might not disagree with it, but he is a legend. Uh, but this match alone, Bischoff, you know, started off really hot, you know, back and forth a little bit. Bischoff then hits devastating kicks on Zabisco. Zabisco then lands devastating strikes on Bischoff as well. Zabisco then puts Bischoff in a sleeper hold, but Bret Hart pulls Zabisco off. Zabisco is completely mad at this point. Bischoff then lands strikes on Zabisco. Zabisco then hits a netbreaker on Bischoff in the middle of the ring. Zabisco then hits Hall. Hart then pulls Zabisco back. Hall then puts something in Bischoff's shoe. Looks like a steel plate while Hart is distracted. Bischoff then hits Zabisco with the shoe that had the, the metal plate in the shoe. Bischoff then is celebrating hitting Zabisco and Hart. Then Hart hits Bischoff. Hart then attacks Hall. Hart then pulls Hall into a sharpshooter, or puts Hall into a sharpshooter, I should say. Hall is tapping out. Zabisco is pretty much choking uh, Eric Bischoff with the black belt, which is hilarious. Uh, Hart then raises Zabisco's hand. Your winner of the match is Larry Zabisco. Again, for what it's worth, like I said, it's not. A, it wasn't a bad match. Uh, Eric Bischoff, you know, obviously, probably having that karate back uh, background. It was it, uh, the one thing I would say about this match that was cool to me was seeing Brett. Um, I know a lot of people were completely against Brett being in WCW, and I will say this: number one, I was a big WCW fan. If you guys all know that by now, and I, I love WWE as well. I grew up watching WWF and WCW. Um, Brett Hart. 
obviously Bret Hart made a humongous name for himself working under Vince and WWE. And, and we, after what happened to him in WWE, he went over to WCW with, um, you know, and, and doing his thing in WCW. But I don't feel like he really got the credibility that he needed in WCW. I felt like they kind of tossed him to the side, made him more of like a mid card sometimes. <clears throat> and he, I mean, he's Bret Hart, man. I mean, yes, he was WCW heavyweight champion, but it wasn't like it was a long run. Number one, number two, I feel I, to me, I feel as if he didn't really have a whole lot of matches at WCW, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it just, you know, I feel like for Brett going to WCW, it was the wrong place at the wrong time for him in a place. Honestly, I don't think he should ever been, you know, he was WCW, WWE royalty and that's what he should have stayed, you know, and shame on Vince for not saying that obviously, you know, the, the Montreal screw job and everything else like that. But, you know, it's a shame because Brett really, you know, Brett was WWE, but again, besides getting off track, hats off to Sabisco for getting the win in this match. After that, we go into the main event of Starcade. It is Hollywood Hogan defending his WCW Heavyweight Championship versus Sting. This is Sting's return match, if you will, as the Crow Sting. Um, he's, I think he was gone from WCW television for like a year before this match or something like that. Um, again, the match starts out Hogan and Sting you know, in the middle of the ring having an epic stare down. Hogan then is on the attack on Sting. Sting then hits a drop kick on Hogan. Hogan then gets up, hits a suplex on Sting, but does nothing to Sting, and Sting gets back up. Hogan then hits a leg drop on Sting and pins Sting 4-3, to three, and it was a clean pin. And I'll tell you guys why I said it was a clean pin. Referee Nick Patrick, Patrick ended up, you know, 1-2-3, and that was it. But you didn't hear the bell. Brett, actually, Bret Hart comes down to the ring, stops the bellkeeper from ringing the bell. Hart then hits re uh, the referee Nick Patrick. Hogan then grabs the bell, goes to lead with a championship, but Hart throws him back into the ring. Sting then hits a stinger splash on Hogan in the corner. Sting then applies a scorpion deathlock on Hogan. And then Sting points to Bret Hart. Bret ends up saying that Hogan tapped out. And your winner of the match and new heavyweight champion at that time was Sting. WCW roster comes out to the ring to celebrate with Sting. And that was the end of the night. I want to be honest with you. Number one, one of the biggest things I know was that this was actually the highest pay-per-view by pay-per-view for WCW of all time, was Starcade 97. The match card itself was awful. Uh, now, Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero was a fantastic match. It wasn't that bad. The card itself, horrible. The, the card was horrible. I'm sorry. Starcade to me was like the WrestleMania, and this was awful. This whole match card was awful, and... I can tell you right now that 700,000 buys that they got on this pay-per-view was solely for Hogan and Sting, which that's fine. But look at the match. Hogan won that match clean, clean. Referee Nick Patrick counted one, two, three, and that was it. Clean finish. Then you have Brett come out and stop the bellkeeper from making the bell count, throwing Hogan back into the ring. Sting hits the Stinger Splash and then applies the Scorpion Deathlock. Sting wins the match. It's one of the big, one, it, to be honestly, one of the biggest botches in WCW history. And I don't think people, many people at that time realized it. It really was. It really was. And it's crazy because that was the highest pay-per-view buyout pay-per-view that WCW has ever had. It's crazy. You know, obviously I get it because Sting, you know, was coming back after being gone for so long. Came, coming back as the Crow Sting and having the match with Hogan. Obviously Sting was trying to get back at the NWO. I get it. I understand that. But. That I wish the match ended with a clean finish. And I, I, the rumor was is that they didn't know if they wanted to put the belt and the title on Sting. 
So they were really back and forth on it. And I guess they finally pulled the plug on Hogan at first to have Hogan go over. And I don't think the fans really gravitated to it as much as that. Then they flipped the script and had Sting go over in this, in the same match, in the same match. But there had to have been at some point, I mean, you have to understand too, there had to have been some point where Hogan had to lose that belt and somebody had to go over. So it had to have been Sting and Sting should have been the right choice from the get go. You know, Hogan had his time with the belt. Give it to Sting. Sting's coming back, and Sting was red hot at the time. Fans were loving him, gravitating towards him. Everybody was waiting for his in-ring return. Give the belt to Sting. Sting was the right man to hold the belt, and I think that's where Eric Bischoff really dropped the belt as far as drop, – dropped the hat, if you will, not giving Sting, you know, the win initially rather than, you know, having a botched finish in a way and then, then giving Sting the finish and giving him the title. So, to me, that really didn't make sense, but – I thought that was a little side note I give you guys that this was the highest grossing pay-per-view buyout for WCW of all time. Um, the match card itself, like I said, it just it didn't fit. To me, it didn't fit the 700,000 buyouts that it actually had. You know, clearly, like I said, it was all about Sting and Hogan, but the match card itself in its entirety, besides the Hogan and Sting match, oh, I even put that in there. It just wasn't that good to me, honestly. I feel like it was really lackluster, and I've seen better Starcades than Starcade 97. Uh, and again, it was cool seeing Sting. Big fan of Sting, but I just didn't get it. I didn't get it really that. I mean, I understand, like I said, with him coming back, but looking back on it now, it's like, man, they really ended that main event with a botch, you know, and then, you know, they should have had Sting go over it from the get-go. They really they really should have. They really should have. But like I do with every single one of these shows, you guys know by now that swing by and check out the podcast, which I really do appreciate you guys checking out the podcast. I always give these shows a rating. I'm going to give this one a six, man, six and a half, because honestly, like I said, the main event, Shouldn't have been a botch finish. It should have been a clean finish. And to me, honestly, it you know it was Hogan. Hogan went over, and the match card itself just wasn't up to par for what I thought Starcade was going to be and what Starcade actually is. Um, I felt like whoever booked this event for Starcade '97 was really lazy or really lackadaisical in, in the mindset of them booking this card. It was just awful. You know, Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero again, fantastic match. Like I told you guys earlier in the podcast. The cruiserweight division for WCW was underrated, hands down. And you can't convince me otherwise. I'm sorry. They were always, I've told you guys this in the past. Usually WCW pay-per-views, the first match on the card was the cruiserweights. <clears throat> you know? And they put on fantastic matches. Cruiserweights like Jericho, Dean, Eddie, Chris Benoit, Ultimo Dragon, you know, Rey Mysterio Jr., the list goes, Psychosis, the list goes on. And they made for fantastic matches and matches that the fans were like blown away by, man. It was like, oh my God, I've never seen this before. And a lot of, the, you know, a lot of the luchadors coming over to WCW, man, fan, you know, American fans didn't see that stuff and it blew fans away, man. It really did. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe you can actually do that in a squared circle. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Very much so underrated cruiserweight division for WCW. But I had to give it a six and a half for WCW Starcade 1997. I hope you guys are out there staying safe. Be careful and remember... Stay classic. Peace.